0: Today on Focal Point with Pastor Mike Fabares.
1: God is, according to the Bible, doing good things through the lives of people all around us, but often we're just too enamored with people's flaws and failures to recognize them. Oftentimes we are focused in on the flaws and the problems, and God is so desperately wanting us to recognize the good that he's accomplishing in others.
0: Have you ever heard of negativity bias? It's our tendency to focus on the negative rather than the positive. Whatever the reason, for many of us, trying to maintain a positive mindset is a struggle. Well, today on Focal Point, Pastor Mike Favares is highlighting the magnitude of goodness that's out there in the world. God is at work every day and using regular people to accomplish his purposes. Our job is to actually notice it. Well, here's Pastor Mike with the message, Doing Something About the Good Stuff.
1: Did you hear about the duck hunter that was in search of the perfect hunting dog? Well, he found it. The dog advertised to actually walk on water. He spent all this money getting this dog. He called up an old hunting buddy, said, go uh, hunting with me. They went out took their place. Uh, and this little duck blind right next to the lake, they... Uh, waited for the ducks to fly over. The ducks flew over, the shotguns went off. They bagged this duck. He came falling down to the middle of the lake. On command, he called his new hunting dog out to go get that duck and sure enough, he skimmed right across the top of the water. He grabbed that duck in his mouth and he came jetting back right along the surface of the water, came and dropped the duck right there at the feet of the proud owner of this new hunting dog. Looked at his paws, they were barely wet. He turned to his hunting buddy and he said, "Uh, So, uh, what do you think of the new hunting dog? His old crusty hunting buddy said, Stupid dog. Can't even swim. (laughs) Well, maybe you don't have that bad of a problem. Maybe you're not quite that incredulous. But most of us struggle just a little bit, don't we, with seeing the good things that other people do, recognizing them as such, and doing something about it. You see, we're all good at the negative and focusing in on the negative we're experts at criticism and we're amateurs at compliments most of us are there may be two or three optimists here but most of us at heart have a problem seeing the good because we're blinded by the negative I mean we focus in on the door ding and we're slow to recognize the beauty of the car but God is according to the Bible doing good things through the lives of people all around us But often we're just too enamored with people's flaws and failures to recognize them. Oftentimes we are focused in on the flaws and the problems, and God is so desperately wanting us to recognize the good that he's accomplishing in others. This message will be hard for the realists because those of us that are realists, we look around and say there are a lot of problems, there are a lot of negatives, there are a lot of bad in this world that, you know, it's just undeniably that way. And that's true, I recognize that. But the question is, as people of God, how does he want the church, the body of Christ, to function? I'm quite sure, on good authority, that God had in mind when he designed the church, a group of people who filled this community called the church that have relationships that enrich, not detract or degrade. Relationships that, according to the Bible, are given to mutual edification, not criticism. The goal that God had in mind when he called us out from our respective places in this world and joined us together in this place called the church was that we would be people with enriched relationships ready to point out the good in other people, embrace that good, compliment that good, and respond to that good though most of us are focused in and quite bent toward recognizing the negative. Fortunately, there's some good corrective medicine for us found in Second Samuel chapter 2. If you have a Bible, I want to look at this example. It's quite convicting if you look at it with both eyes open because you'll see in this passage perhaps what I saw this week, a picture of someone who's quite different than myself. A guy who was not only quick to recognize, but quick to respond when he saw someone else do something good. It's a challenge for us, but hopefully as we rely on God to point out the specific areas in our lives that may not match this passage, we can say, I want to, like David, be a man after God's own heart and reflect the kind of attitude that King David had. Look at this passage with me. If you've been studying with us, you know we left off in the middle of verse 4. And you should have this in the middle of verse 4 marked off as a new paragraph. So look at the part that starts with the words, when David was told. Do you see that? When David was told that it was the men of Jabesh Gilead who had buried Saul, stop right there, do you remember what happened just a few chapters back? It was chapter 31 of 1 Samuel that Saul, the king of Israel, the first king of Israel, died a disgraceful death on Mount Gilboa. He was mortally wounded, he killed himself, the Philistines came back the next day, they decapitated his body and they hung his body, his headless disgraced body on the wall of a Philistine garrison named Bethshon. And there were some men in Jabesh-Gilead quite a ways away, the east of the Jordan River, who had heard what had happened. And it said all their valiant men joined together. They traveled all night to get the disgraced body of their king off of this wall to bring his body back to Jabesh-Gilead and give it a dignified burial. When David heard that that happened, the Bible says... Verse five says, his response was to send messengers to the men of Jabesh Gilead and say to them, Yahweh bless you for showing this, I want you to circle this next word, kindness to Saul your master by bearing him. I you circle that word kindness because it translates probably one of the most significant Hebrew words in the whole Old Testament. It is the Hebrew word hesed. And you probably heard this word mentioned before because it is so significant. It represents most often in the Bible the love of God, the faithful, loyal, good, kind, generous love of God. And in this passage, when David enlists this vocabulary word to describe that action, he's making a huge connection. He's saying what those guys did was a huge act of godly kindness. They showed the love of God in what they just did. And instead of just turning the newspaper to the next page or listening to his advisors tell him this and say, okay, that's good, good, good. What's on my agenda for today? What are the challenges we face in this new kingdom? David stopped and said, this is a good thing. This is a God thing. This is something that God has worked in the hearts of the men of these people in Jabesh Gilead, and it needs to be noticed. It needs to be recognized as such. If you've got a worksheet this morning or if you're taking notes, the first thing that's worthy of note in this passage is that when something good takes place in the life of someone else, when they produce a good work or they do a good thing, the first thing we need to do is what David did. I put it this way in your outline. Number one, we need to be sure to notice. We need to be sure to notice. And you may say, well, that is just a ridiculous statement. That's so obvious and evident. Is it really? Is it that we even notice When God works something good in someone's life and they're motivated to do some good deed, to say some kind word, to sacrifice their time or their effort to do something that's praiseworthy, do we really notice that? Are we tuned into that and sensitized to the fact that people around us every day are doing good things? Well, I know our culture isn't. Turn on the news tonight about 11 o'clock. Choose your channel, 247, whatever you want to watch, and you'll see the news. By definition, the news is all the news stuff that's happened, right? Or pick up the morning paper. Read the front page and the second page and the third page. That's the news. That's the news stuff. What is it that our culture seems to fixate on? If you see acts of kindness and good deeds reported in the news, they're always in the last page or just to fill a little free space at the end of the newscast. But if the Anaheim man beats someone up or rapes someone or embezzles some money, that'll make it on the front page of the paper. If the two teenage boys walk in and rob a bank or accost somebody, that'll make the paper. That's news. That's our focus on the negative. We focus in our society on the bad deeds. The newspaper ought to be retitled the bad news because that's what it is for the most part, right? It's all the bad news that's happened in our world. News tonight will be headed by all kinds of information that's bad. Now, I understand it's reality and it's indicative of our world. But the question is, should that really be the focus of the body of Christ? Should it be that the church of Christ sits around at the dinner table and we talk about things the way the world talks about things? We highlight and accentuate the bad deeds of people, or should we be different? Does God call us to a whole other plane, a whole other level, a whole other standard? Calvin once put it tactfully. I'm being facetious. He didn't put very many things tactfully. He said this about our problem. He said, it is because we are perverse that we look to people's vices and not their virtues. He said that is why we overlook the things that God approves. Did you catch that? It's because we have a problem in our heart that we're prone to focus on people's failures. God is approving things today. God is applauding things today. If you will, the newscast in heaven tonight will be filled with things that happen in people's lives that you know, and God will be throwing up on the screen the good things. And he says, these are the things that I approve. These are the things that's noteworthy. This is the news that's fit to print. It's the good stuff. God is inevitably focused in the Scripture when it comes to His children on the good things that they do. Keep your finger here in 2 Samuel chapter 2 and turn with me, if you would, to Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 43. I want to show you a passage that I want to lay next to another New Testament passage and have you look at side by side, at least as quickly as you can. See these passages in contrast. The first one that I want you to look at in Isaiah chapter 43 gives us a truth that I know you're well familiar with. As a matter of fact, you hang your hat on it. If you're a Christian, you're hoping this is the case about God. Isaiah chapter 43, look down if you would at verse number 25. Isaiah 43, 25, God says these incredibly comforting words. Wouldn't you agree? I, even I, God says, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and, underline this, remembers your sins no more. Is that good news? Isn't that something that we revel in? Isn't that something we rejoice in? Isn't that something you say, I am so glad because I look at my own life and I see the sin in my life and I'm hoping that God is going to say, I'm not going to remember that stuff. All right? You got that verse firmly in your mind? You've underlined that line? Remembers your sins no more. Beautiful. Music to our ears, right? Turn over, if you would, to Hebrews chapter 6. With that passage firmly in our mind, let me show you the other side. Hebrews chapter 6 when God looks at his kids, when God looks down at his church, when he looks at your wife's life and your children's life and your friends and your co-workers and the people that you call brothers and sisters in the body of Christ, he is looking at them and remembering their sins no more. Then, it says in Hebrews 6, drop your eyes down to verse number 10, it says in Hebrews six ten, God is not unjust. He will not forget, he's, something here about not forgetting now, your work and the love you've shown him as you've helped his people and continue to help them. Underline that phrase, he will not forget. Now here's an interesting contrast in the dealings of God with, with his people. He gives us the assurance that your sins, I'll remember them no more. Like Psalm 103, as far as the east is from the west, I'll separate you from your sins. I'm not going to call your sins into mind or my memory. I'm going to forget your sins. And then he turns around and says, but you know, there's one thing I'll never forget. I'll never forget the good things you do. I'll never forget the work that you show out of love in your heart to serve the people of God. I won't forget those things. How specific is God? Jesus said this. He taught it, he preached it, recorded in the Gospels. He says, even if someone gives a cup of cold water in my name to one of my disciples, what does he say? He shall not lose his reward. What's the point? God is so exacting and specific about remembering the good in our lives, and he is so specific and determined to forget that which is bad in our lives. Now, you want to be a godly person? Would you like to reflect the character of God in your life? Would you like to be more like your creator? Then here's the first thing we've got to do. We've got to notice when people do good. We've got to remember when people do good. And to do that, we've got to look over a lot of bad, don't we? But we've got to do it, just like God. Sometimes I make excuses for people that are negative, and I don't know what you think of this, but my theory is it seems the more intelligent people are, the more critical they often become. Because they, they see the problems. A lot of people, you know, they pie in the sky. You know, they're simple-minded people. They don't see the problems in people's life. But the intelligent people that I know, a lot of times they're real honed into the problems. They're real honed into the flaws. They see the mistakes. And oftentimes I excuse them. And I think, well, if you're a genius, it's impossible for you to live this out, right? You could never overlook someone's flaws and embrace their good. But I'm thinking there's no one smarter than God. <laughs> And God has determined in his dealings with us, your sins I'll remember no more. Oh, and by the way, the things I'll never forget are the things you do that are good. Now, you want to be a godly person. That's a commitment you and I have got to make. I'm going to start looking at the people around me, my wife, my husband, my children, my parents, my co-workers, my boss, my employees, the people that sit next to me in church And I'm going to say, I'm going to purpose in my heart to overlook their sin and focus on their good deeds. I will remember them. I will keep them in mind. I will notice when they do them. And David, when he recognizes that the men of Jabesh Gilead have done a good deed, he takes note of it. It's important. Isn't that exactly what love is supposed to do? Love, the Bible says, covers a multitude of sins. What's that mean? In some way, my love for you can expiate your sin, can in some way atone for your sin? No, I can't do that. But in practical terms, when I love you, I'm looking past your flaws and I'm looking at the good things that God is doing in and through you. And I'm focusing on that. If I'm a godly person, if you excuse that mindset because you're a realist, it's time for you to ditch that excuse and embrace the truth of the Bible. Godly people, men after God's own heart, they recognize the good people do. They keep it in their minds. And like the Bible says, if it's true, pure, noble, just, if anything is praiseworthy, the Bible says, let your minds do it. Dwell on these things. Put your minds on those things. And for a lot of us, that's a reorientation of how we view the people that we deal with all day long. That's going to be a difficult challenge for us, but it's the place to start. You've got to notice. David not only notices what happens and recognizes it as a God thing, as a Hesed thing, as a thing that reflects the love of God, but if you'd look back in 2 Samuel 2, I want you to notice what he does. The first thing David does in this notice that comes from the messengers that are reporting to the men of Jabesh Gilead is he starts to, in this message, pray for them. That's really what's happening in the grammar here. Look at this phrase. It says in verse 6 May the Lord. Now show you, circle this word. What's the next word? Kindness. Guess which word that is? Same word, hesed. This is an interesting scenario, an interesting equation being created here. You've shown kindness towards Saul, and I'm going to pray right now that God would show you kindness and faithfulness. Now... Even the word, if we just studied the word hesed, we would see there's this reciprocal nature. There's this nature in which one good deed gives rise to the next, and one act of love is responded to by another act of love. But this makes it undeniable, doesn't it? That in the community of believers, one good deed over here gives rise to people that think that ought to be responded to with good deeds. And David says the men of Javish Gilead, you did a good deed for Saul. You showed the love of God. You know, I'm going to pray that God would show you his love. There's going to be a reciprocal nature in good deeds. Good deeds give rise to more good deeds. Good deeds are complemented by other good deeds. Specifically in this text, they're directed to, this request is directed to God. And the request is, I've seen someone do something good. God, would you do good to them? And I love the fact that he just doesn't use the word hesed. He uses another word too, and he throws in more. He says, not only good, I want you to be faithful to them too. It's almost like this exchange, this return on the good deed. David is saying, I hope you're better to them than they were to Saul. Two for one. They showed hesitant towards Saul. I want God to show chesed and faithfulness toward them. Number two on your outline, if you're taking notes, this would be the next thing I think we need to do if we want to reflect the character of David in being responsive to the good deeds around us. Well, first we've got to notice them. The second thing we need to do, if we're going to follow this example, is we need to get God involved. We need to turn to God and say, Hey, God, can you do something about this? Can you respond? Can you be good to them? One of my first jobs was working at a park where I would sweep up this park and uh, clean these uh, picnic tables at this park. And sometimes when I was cleaning, they would have this group out at the park that was training dogs to be attack dogs. And they would have a guy dressed in a padded suit or they'd have some mannequin on a pole out there. And they would have these dog owners and dogs lined up there. And some guy, some big guy would be out there with a whistle and he'd be shouting commands in German to these dogs. And I don't know why German, I guess. Some were German shepherds, I guess. That's why. But they would shout to these, these dogs in German and these Doverman Pinschers and these German shepherds. And then one by one, they would go out and they would attack this, uh, this mannequin or they attacked the guy who was in the padded suit. Well, I was just kind of enamored watching all this happen. And I'd go home after work and come home to my beagle and... Uh, <laughs> I'd shout to him these words that I heard them use at the park, you know, thinking it's just something innate about canines. If they just hear this word, they'd go and I'd yell at my dog and my dog would just smile, you know, smile at me. He'd wag his little nubby tail and just, you know, it was no effect. Because my dog was a beagle and he really didn't have it in him. No matter how much I commanded him to do that, he wasn't going to do it because he just had no inclination to be a fighter. You know. If I can bring this down to that level without minimizing the profundity of this passage. Can I tell you what David is doing is he's turning to God and he's saying, in essence, sick him. (laughs) He's saying, go get them. They've done good and I want you to go after them with good. And the great thing is when we tell God to do good to someone, it is intrinsic in his nature. It is what he longs to do. It is what God is all about. Do you remember that passage in Hebrews chapter 11 that says, if we're ever going to please God, we've got to have faith, right? We've got to believe this. We can't please God without faith. Do you remember that phrase that says there's two things that we have to be confident of? We have to be confident that he is, duh, right? We have to believe he exists. And the second thing there is really telling. It says we also have to believe that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. I'm thinking if I'm going to write a passage about the the basic nature of God, I don't know if that'd be the first thing that would pop into my mind. But embedded right there in that really potent scriptural verse reminds us that not only does God exist, his fundamental nature is to respond in a rewarding manner to people. And as though I had to tell God in some weird, mysterious, providential way, God often waits for me to ask. I don't know why, but the Bible's clear. When I ask, God responds. And when I see someone do something good, if I say to God, Hey, God, could you get involved here and do good to them? It's like God saying, I- I've been waiting for you to ask. I just, I would love to respond to that.
0: We're learning to recognize what good people do today from Pastor Mike Fabares. You're listening to Focal Point and a message titled, Doing Something About the Good Stuff. You can download the study notes and listen to the full-length message on demand when you visit focalpointradio.org. Well, whether you're a regular listener or today's your first time joining us, I'm sure you've noticed that Pastor Mike is a straight shooter. He says it like it is, right from Scripture. Because as nice as it is to hear positive affirmations, they won't equip you to deal with the tough stuff when you encounter it. That's why we're wholly committed to teaching the full counsel of God's Word. So this Thanksgiving, we hope you'll remember Focal Point with a gift of gratitude. When you give, you're making it possible for folks all across this nation to experience life-transforming confidence in Christ by satellite, podcast, mobile app, and over 800 stations like this one. Give today by calling 888-320-5885. When you give a gift of any amount today, we'll send you a copy of Nate Pickowitz's book called How to Eat Your Bible as our way of saying thank you. If you find you aren't getting a lot out of your personal Bible study time, or you just aren't in the habit of reading God's Word much these days, then this will be a great encouragement. That's exactly why the Focal Point team selected this practical book as this month's resource. Go online to focalpointradio.org. To send your donation by mail, write to Focal Point, Post Office Box 2850, Laguna Hills, California, 92654. Now, even if you can't give today, we still want to hear from you. And when you let us know you're listening, we'll send you a free Bible timeline pamphlet. There's no cost or obligation. Our website again is focalpointradio.org. Well, I'm your host, Dave Drewy, wishing you a happy Thanksgiving from Pastor Mike and all of us here at Focal Point. Be sure to come back again tomorrow for our weekly feature called Ask Pastor Mike. We're looking back at the history of American Thanksgiving Be sure to tune in Friday for Focal Point. Pastor Mike here. You know, it's an honor to be with you every day, helping you explore the depths of scripture.
1: But I want to be clear, no amount of Bible knowledge is ever going to save you. Be sure where you stand with God. Get in touch with us. We'd love to pray with you and for you.
0: Visit us today at focalpointradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Focal Point Ministries.